Right, hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Max Stokes, as ever, joined by Simon Lyon. Simon, how are you, mate? You all good? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. Been a while, hasn't it? Uh, we are back with a bang to discuss Villa's first Premier League defeat at Villa Park since the 18th of February 2023. Apart from the prissy fireworks and the uh, mediocre light show before the game, it wasn't great last night, was it? No, no, it wasn't. And um, it's a bit of a strange feeling, I suppose, isn't it? Because we haven't... We haven't lost at Villa Park in, as you say, coming up to a year. I suppose my overriding reaction really was that I kind of felt like maybe a sort of performance like that or a result like that had been coming for the last few weeks, if I'm being honest. And so mm. I wasn't entirely surprised. I didn't go with I didn't go to Villa Park last night with massive confidence like I usually do. Yeah, we feel a little bit entitled. I guess this is what it's like to be like a Man City fan. But now we're straight back down to earth with a classic Villa that we all know. Uh, coming up in the show, then we'll discuss that Newcastle game in a little bit more detail. We'll discuss uh, a bit of the FA Cup and where we're at in that as well. Where Villa are at generally and uh, do we need to be worried at all bit of transfer chat and we'll also answer a couple of your questions as well just before we do get into that then please do subscribe to the show i know it's been a little while since we've done one so uh, please subscribe so you never miss any of the uh, future episodes that we do please do leave a review as well on whatever you're listening on whether that's spotify apple uh, there's quite a few reviews actually that have come in fairly recently they're all very lovely so uh, thank you very much for that and go and check out villa on tour on youtube as well uh, needs the support over there because we've had two nil nils in a row and then a three one defeat so it's not performing um, amazing because no one's watching the videos and rightly so uh anyway let's talk about this newcastle game aston villa one newcastle three <sighs> first of all i want to get your thoughts on the uh, the light show before the game i saw the the um the photo that you put on twitter of the fireworks i didn't even know there was fireworks obviously i sit row 24 of the upper hole i can't see a thing i, th- I thought that was just a one-off thing what game was it was it one of the european ones was it leggy warsaw where there was fireworks going on i didn't even know that was a thing i liked it like yeah picture. yeah it's been it's been going on for uh it's been going on for a little while that has yeah we we yeah in the, nor- <laughs> in the north stand up there it's like prime position to, to, to see the fireworks show yeah. and, i mean let's be honest it was the it was the highlight of the night really i i mean away <laughs> from the light show the light show wasn't brilliant was it i don't know stop that i Can noticed like uh, a lot less people partook in it uh last night uh, which, <laughs> yeah. which made me laugh actually i was looking around thinking hardly anyone's doing this but uh well they promoted it they heavily promoted it the first time yeah. around for sheffield united and this one i only saw one tweet from it and then i was speaking to, to robin who i was with and they say you've got to have service before you go into the ground to open it and it's just like do you really need that to think about the one thing i will say though at least they at least they actually did it to some kind of like villa themed music last night though like the last one was just to some weird just video that was playing on the screen it wasn't even to any like it was a bit strange wasn't it against <laughs> united but at least they did it to high ho aston villa last night but it wasn't it wasn't uh partaking very well i'd, I'd say so yeah I'd, i don't know whether we'll be seeing that again anytime soon Grant asked the question on Twitter. He said, all this pre-match waffle, light shows, fireworks, deafening, doesn't it make us look a little bit tin part? Um, I like the fireboxes. I think the fireboxes are decent. There's smoke as well by the players and the tunnel where they come out as well. I don't mind that. The fireworks is a lot. It makes it seem like it's like an FA Cup quarterfinal or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's quite a lot. I don't mind it though. I mean, it looks decent. I think I'd, I'd stop. With, I'd draw the line at the light show. I think that needs to stop. Like you said, if, 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 if any less people do it, yeah, it's, it's a modern way, though, isn't it? The whole fireworks creating, you know, a bit of entertainment, a bit of an atmosphere. I American, mean, exactly. Americanism's creeping into our sport, really. And let's face it; I mean, you've got to, you've, you've got, you've got to enjoy something if you're paying sixty-three pound <laughs> for your ticket. So oh, we'll come on to that. <laughs> I'd be quite, I'd be quite pleased as a bit of a fireworks show. You know what? I don't really mind it to be honest. If I understand it, footballs a, footballs an entertainment, as they say these days, isn't it? And so 
I'm not really that bothered to be honest with you. If, if that's if that's what if that's what the people want, then I'm really I'm not I'm not really too bothered by that part. To be fair, it's a great photo. <laughs> it's a great photo. A great photo. Coming off that Chelsea game, the nil nil in the FA Cup, then we were a little bit sluggish at times during that game, a little bit careless. We looked rusty, didn't we? Which I was a little bit surprised about. Just it going into the Newcastle game, coming off the back of that Chelsea one, we looked rusty, which I'm surprised about because of, we had the two-week break. Some of the players looked like they were sort of still in Dubai, whatever. So that's why I expected a little bit better from, the, from this Newcastle game. Obviously, a month since we played at home as well. And the incredible home record that you, we'd had, you, you'd expect us to come back with a little bit of a bang at Villa Park. It just never happened, did it? No, it didn't. And I think, I think from the outset, I think Newcastle had a sus. If I'm being honest with you, I think, I think Eddie Howe learnt a lot from, um, from 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 the game at Villa Park last season. Yeah. Um, everything good Villa, everything good Villa did on that day, they they weren't able to replicate last night, and. Um, and, and, and I think the main point for me is that when you look back to that game that we played against Newcastle at Villa Park last season, I think we, we talked about how how we were able to adapt, how we were able to adapt our tactics so much and, you know, hit teams with different sort of styles. And I think last season, especially when we when we had John McGinn up against Dan Byrne down that side last season and he caused yeah. Dan Byrne havoc. And I think the, the main, I think not, well, I wouldn't say concern, but the main disappointment for me last night was that we rarely tried anything different. It was kind of a bit... It was kind of a bit same old sort of thing last night. We didn't really try anything different, and I think Newcastle just did a job on us all over the field. If, I, if I'm being totally honest, I just I just thought it was a, a real sort of a masterclass in tactics by Eddie Howe. If I'm being honest, last night, and and I, obviously we were you know masters of our own downfall at times as well. I think there was you know we got ourselves in some decent positions and we struggled to. Um, do anything with it. We struggled to make that final cross or for final shot. Um, I think there was a bit of that. I think we were a bit slow in our attacks last night. You know, I think mm-hmm. over the course of the season, we've seen how Villa like to play out and build from the back. But then once we get into that final third, we sort of hit teams with pace and aggression. Kind of feel like that's disappeared a little bit from our game and over over recent weeks, to be honest with you. We're still doing the building up from the back and passing it out. But that sort of speed and aggression uh, as it gets to our final third is sort of, a sort of, you know, it's gone a little bit in last in the last few weeks, and so yeah, I just I just don't think I just don't think we run it. I think there were too many players at less than sort of six out six, seven six out of ten sort of thing. And mm. I think Newcastle had one of them games when they just stopped what we what what we're good at, and uh, and and then they hurt us in other ways, which we haven't seen other teams do. I mean, like for the fact like they know that we like to play through the centre of the midfield with our sort of high line and our sort of double pivot, and yet. Newcastle just just thought, okay, if you're going to do that, we'll just go down your sides or go over the top of you, and that's what happened. You know, I mean, Cash and Moreno had particularly difficult evenings, didn't they? Down down the side, and then um, it was that ball over the top quite a few times as well. And so our high line wasn't as effective as it as it has been um, in recent times. And so, yeah, a lot to think about, a lot to think about, really. But I think I think on the overall, I think the overall thing, I just think that Newcastle just outperformed us tactically and everything if I'm being honest I just thought they were they were the much better team and I think sometimes you have to just hold your hands up and say you know fair play that they are a good side I think that's what I think people have forgotten that a little bit they are a side that's been in the Champions League this season a side that finished third in the league last year yes they've been a little bit off it in the 
Premier League, but you know you, you don't become a bad side overnight, do you? And I think they kind of showed that last night. I thought they were they were really strong. Yeah, definitely they were very good, and it's sort of day and night, isn't it, with that with that game at Villa Park last year. You talk about the slow build at play. How massive is it that Pau Torres is still missing? It's so, so frustrating, isn't it? And look, Longley, I think he talks about it then. I think consistently he's always going to give you a sort of six, maybe seven out of ten. But in terms of that build at play, he offers nowhere near it. The amount of times where we went long yesterday was was really confusing. I think there was a couple of times in the Chelsea game where Longley looks really panicky on the ball, cutting back, cutting back, cutting back over and over again and then making a slack pass. So obviously your sort of fifth or your fourth or fifth choice centre back is going to be nowhere near the level of Torres. I'm not expecting that, but you do notice it when it's gone, both defensively and offensively with the centre back as well. And that's that's bizarre, isn't it? He's so calm on the ball, Torres, and he's impossible to replace. Yeah, and that and, and this is it. And I don't think it's a major criticism of Clement Longley. I think he's done absolutely fine to, to sort of step in as our yeah. third, fourth choice centre half, whatever, whatever he may be. Um but I think Perry Torres is really unique in the way he plays. You know, he he's able to bring that ball out of the defence. He carries the ball quite a long way, doesn't he? And his range of passing, um, you know, he's, he's another sort of trick up his sleeve. And I think by bringing the ball out so far into midfield, I, I always say it's like playing with another midfielder with Torres kind of thing. And I yeah. think when he brings the ball into midfield, what you see is the likes of Louise and Kamara and John McGee can get further forward, which helps our attack. It helps us, Fred passes through, it helps create more more sort of chances. And I think what you've been seeing more of with Longley personally is that he gets the ball and because he hasn't got that range of passing like Torres does or because he doesn't bring it so far into midfield, I think the midfielders sort of hang back a little bit in, in, in trying trying to get hold of the ball. And so then the ball goes short into Louise rather than it will go an extra 15, 20 yards when Torres does it. And then you're sort of on the front mm. foot then, aren't you? And that's when you can speed up your attacks. And I think that's how Villa were hurting teams before. And I think that sort of slowed down. I'm not, I don't think Torres is the be all and end all of it, but I think he's a I think he's a vital cog in, in how Villa play. And maybe that maybe that's something we, we took for granted. Maybe it's something we didn't realise um was really fundamental to how we play. Um so no, it's not a, it's not a criticism of Longley. I think he's been okay. And I mean la- last night, to be fair to you, we made two really, really vital blocks which would have led to which yeah. would have led to goals. And so on the defending side of it, I think he's been absolutely fine, Longley, to be fair to him. Um, probably better than I expected. But in terms of progressing Villa up the field, um, I think we've really missed Paratoros, definitely. Yeah, and going long, we did it all night, didn't we? Martinez especially looks really reluctant to go short. The amount of times he was spraying balls over to that right-hand side, Dan Byrne putting it on his head every single time. Newcastle won 70% of their aerial jewels, and it was just it was just frustrating because nothing was changing. It was over and over again, and you talked about adapting our tactics. Tactics. It's the same yesterday, mm. wasn't it? And it just looked sluggish and it looked like we didn't really have any idea. And it looks like, like you said, it's not the be all and end all that Torres isn't in the side, but you take him sort of out of that jigsaw and all of the patterns of play have sort of been disrupted. And again, it's not a criticism on Longley because he's doing a job. He's a squad player. It was just, it was just a tough watch and it felt like nothing was really going to change because we've talked about this sort of slow build at play a lot this season. And that's the, that's the style of play. The whole point of Emery's system is control. But it's frustrating, especially when you go two goals down so fast. It's a hard watch when you're chasing a game. Yeah, and I just think we were so rigid. I think, you know, you saw Diaby sort of in that second sort of striker role with Watkins. And I think you could tell it's, it's it wasn't working. And we've seen that for the for the last few weeks. And, and so for me, it, I don't know, it kind of confused me a little bit. Like later on in the game when Bailey comes on. 
Um, and then, but Bailey doesn't replace DRB. He goes out to the wing. Bailey does, and then Zaniolo yeah. plays in that second striker role. And for me, that's that's the bit that confused me a little bit. Is that if Bailey with his pace had so much joy against Dan Byrne, then why didn't we just try it with DRB earlier on in the game? Why didn't we mix that up and think, mm-hmm. right, we'll we'll move DRB from the second striker role and put him on the right and then I put Tielemans in that in in that in that role behind Watkins, which we've seen before, and it didn't feel like we were we were adapting much in game last night, which was. A surprise, to be honest, and and a, and a disappointment. It just felt like we were going through the motions, and and I think I was fairly surprised we didn't make a change at half time as well. I think we were we struggled that much in the first half. I was I was pretty sure we would make a change at half time, and obviously that didn't come. And you know what happened? We conceded the third goal some, through some really poor defending again. But um, yeah, it was just it was one of them games, wasn't it? It just felt like it never it never felt like we were going to really get on the on the front foot and create many chances. And it's kind of been a symptom of what we've been the last few weeks, really. But obviously added in last night, uh, poor defended offset pieces, etc., which essentially lost us the game in the end. Yeah, just on Diaby, he's had quite a bit of stick, hasn't he? And he has been quiet for a number of weeks now. But it was bizarre because, yes, Bailey comes on and he plays out wide and he changes the game. But you just you just think to yourself, you know the the trouble that um, John McGinn caused Dan Burn last season. Just put Diaby right out wide, put him right on the touchline, and just mm. give him the ball and say, "Go and run at Dan Burn." You know, whenever you listen to ex footballers, pundits, whatever, they always say they hate players running at them at speed. Diaby's half the height of Dan Burn. He would have had some joy, surely. And it felt like the we were spraying balls over that way all evening. And Cash had a couple of moments, didn't he? But then when he gets on the ball, you can see the cogs going with Cash. We said it a lot of time. He he doesn't really know what to do with it. Whereas Diaby, he's got that pace to sort of get past someone and then have a think. So that was a frustrating one and a confusing one because. Diaby, look at the look at the on on paper. He's never going to have a, a fun evening against Shah, Botman, and Dan Byrne at the back when you play when he's so central. It was a strange one. Yeah, I just think even if you'd have tried it for a 15, 20 minute period, you know, just to see if it you, you were going to get more joy out of it. But when you see Bailey comes comes on, and okay, we know Bailey's in form. We know he's we know he's it's a totally different kettle of fish to Diaby because he's in form compared to Diaby's not in form, but you see a player with pace as they both got, and yet Bailey had so much joy out of Dan Byrne when he finally came on. Um, you think, I wonder what would happen if Diaby would, would, would have had a bit of a run at Byrne mm. early on in the game, and so yeah, maybe missed opportunity there. Maybe we didn't react quick enough. Yeah, absolutely. And it just wasn't clicking. And the real basics were kind of off all night last night, like in terms of the, the first touch, the slack passing, decision making. I said this to Robin at the game. Do you remember that Arsenal goal where Kamara, uh, Tielemans, Bailey, and obviously McGinnis scores it? played it so well down that right-hand side and sort of everybody knew what each other were doing. They knew who was running where, they knew when to pass it. It, it just felt like it was a, a perfectly synchronised goal. We just sort of lack any of that. We've lost it. I don't know what the word would be, like cohesion. We've just lost any of that sort of cohesion and nobody sort of knows what each other's doing. I thought Moreno was isolated attacking-wise on the left-hand side. There was sort of, he's crying out for that Ramsey of last season when those two links up so well. We were just isolated out wide and then in the middle it was two packs because Newcastle they were, they were fantastic in midfield. They've got loads of big lads. We were just outnumbered over and over again, it seemed. Yeah, and I think what you said there about Moreno, I think that's a really key thing to raise, actually, is that, you know, when he had his success last year, he he, he built up a really, you know, a great partnership up down that left-hand side with Jacob Ramsey. And it's something we struggled with this season in terms of getting a partnership together. We've had players in and out, haven't we, constantly all season. We, I mean, you think about it, we've had... 
uh, Ramsey there at times. We've had Tielemans there at times. Zaniolo played a lot, a, a lot of his football over there. Yeah. Um, you've had Bailey over there at times. McGee probably Diaby at times. And so we've had a lot of players playing like, over on that side. And so no, you know, no one's been able to build up that relationship with the left back like we had last season, um, which which does have an impact. But yeah, I, you know what, you know what, I thought at times we played some decent football. At times I did, as we usually do. But I just, it's just that final, final pass or or that you know like I, I there was two times in the first half when uh cash uh, got forward and he, he had the ball on the right hand side and it was just a a simple sort of cross into the box to try and find a man in claret and blue and hits the first man and gets cleared and that's the sort of this decision making i'm talking about and then the one when Diaby yeah. was fed in and and instead of having a shot like he should have he you know and this shows how uh lacking in confidence is i suppose he he tries to square it again even though there was nobody really Really in the, mm. in the box for the pass for the for the pass to, to go to, and it's just little things like that. It's like if you get that right and you and you create an opportunity, you, the game can swing a different way. And I think we're we're doing that a little bit at the moment. I don't think our decision making is just not quite there at the moment. We've we're going through one of them patches when it feels like the the, the strikers sort of feeding off scraps because we're not making those right right decisions and. You could see Ollie Watkins' his frustration last night, actually. He kept dropping so deep to come and collect the ball um, just because he just wasn't in the game at all. And that's because he has... He, he was out wide quite a lot as well, wasn't he? Like over Moreno's side, obviously, we've already said that he was isolated. And then he gets the ball. And then what? Because nobody's in the box. And that's, and that's purely because he's feeding off scraps and because he's frustrated. He yeah. wants to be involved in the game. So he's getting dragged out to where the manager doesn't really want him to be. But because he's feeding off scraps, because the players around him aren't making those right decisions in terms of feeding him the ball. Um, he's going looking for it, and that again that takes away from how well we play in terms of you know earlier on the season how it worked for us, and so yeah, it was it was a really frustrating night, it really really was, but kind of kind of a symptom of what's been happening over the last few weeks, maybe just just with slightly different results over the last few weeks. Yeah, you talked about set pieces just a minute ago. We'll talk about those two goals in the first half. Just defensively as well, you probably saw it from a better vantage point from where you sit, but our offensive corners. What was that about? Because it looked like we had two or three of our sort of most threatening, tallest players sort of really pulling back at the back post and coming out the way and sort of leaving it a little bit sparse in the middle where you'd want the ball. And they put the ball not where those players were, right in the middle where there was nobody there and it was cleared. Strange one that was. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not I'm not sure. It wasn't, I don't think it definitely wasn't executed the way they wanted it to. Obviously, no. the, I'm, I'm assuming the ball was aiming towards that back post where they were, where they were standing. I'm assuming. I don't know what for. But yeah, it was a strange one. I did notice it and I thought, mm, I'm not. Not convinced by that one. It definitely didn't work. And anyway, the couple of times that they they did it, unfortunately. So, yeah, set pieces wasn't wasn't the strong point for us last night, um, offensively or defensively. Yeah, we'll talk about defensively now. Then with the first uh, Fabian Shah goal, I, I said it just before that goal went in. It looked like Sven Botman was totally unmarked at the back stick, and I sort of understand zonal marking. But on the other hand, you've got Botman and Shah running in at pace against our players who had kind of just stood there, and that ball for the first one. He's put in an area where it's bizarre. There's there's nobody there. Like it's not like he's, he's it's a bullet head or whatever. He's just stabbed it in. Why is the ball allowed to just drop on the floor there? It's it's a really really strange one. Yeah, it's, it wasn't it wasn't great from Villa's point of view at all. Leaving that leaving that sort of space and it was just a a really simple basic goals conceded, wasn't it? And um, yeah, I don't think the I don't think the defenders will be too happy with that when they watch it back when they watched it back after the game or this morning. Um, it was a. They're really, like I say, really basic goals concede, and um, that's the you know you really get punished if you if you are going to concede goals like that. It's usually what usually what loses your games, isn't it? You know you don't mind conceding a goal if it's a great goal, but where wow, just a 
a simple ball in like that and for him to be so unmarked just to poke it in was just yeah just 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 not good enough and um and yeah it's it's a, it's a strange one because we've been quite strong defensively off set pieces um this season we've been really strong off and and, and attacking the set pieces actually but yeah, last night just uh, it was it was it was a strange night. I felt it was just everything everything we've been doing good just went totally out the window. Yeah, it was off. It was off, and the second goal didn't look right either. It, it was sort of similar to the look that we got when Tottenham scored their goal, and it came off Diego Carlos from a set piece as well. Obviously, this one comes off Longley, hits the bar. Guess who's first to react? Not a Villa player, um, and that's two nil. And it sort of felt like that was the killer. You know, when you're one nil down, you can always have a bit of hope. But two goals so quick. It's a real dagger in the heart, isn't it? And you can sort of tell by the body language. Heads were down, sort of strolling back to the halfway line. You could tell that wasn't great, sort of semi-close to half-time as well. Yeah, yeah, it was annoying, but we still had it. We still had a little bit of time to play in that half, though. For, you know, and, that, and I think I think the thing for me that I noticed was that towards the end of that first half, you're right, heads did drop, and and the tempo was just not there at all. I mean, we had a throw in at one mm. point, and it was like we were taking absolutely ages on it, and it was a bit like, come on, lads, if you speed this up and you get a goal now before half time you know it really changes the outlook of the game you know you're, you're able to come back out in the second half and really go for the jugular to try and get yourself back in the game but I don't know it just felt like we were at, at one pace at times and there was a time when like Cash had a throw in and then there was like he was holding the ball but then I think someone in the crowd threw the ball through another ball back and it had gone onto the pitch and it was right by Cash and no one he didn't even move to go and get it get the ball and it was a bit like <laughs> Do you realise we're losing 2-0? And and I think that was yeah. the moment for me and I was just getting really frustrated because it was like, this isn't game over, lads. You know, we've got a long time to play here and I just... Just felt like, yeah, just felt like that tempo was just way, way off at that point. Yeah, John McGinn had a headed chance, didn't he, just before uh, half time, where he probably should have done a little bit better. And at that point, the sort of atmosphere was sucked out of Villa Park. And Jags replied on Twitter and he says, Watching on TV, I was very surprised how little we could hear the Villa fans. Was that really the case? Uh, yes, but I think a lot of people on social media, as soon as we lose a game, it's sort of, right, what's the easiest sort of scapegoat to go to the atmosphere wasn't it terrible was it really that much worse than usual I'm not saying it was great but was it worse than what we're sort of used to at Villa Park it, it wasn't great but I just think it was the nature of the game I always say fans feed off oh, yeah. feed off what the players are doing on the pitch rightly or wrongly that's how it is players as everyone says players feed off what the fans do the fans equally feed off what the players are doing and it was a really poor first half performance and it and it, you know in terms of we haven't lost at Villa Park in nearly a year everyone comes to Villa Park expecting to have a really sort of nice evening where we you know, score a few goals and we're entertained. And when that doesn't happen, you know, we kind of get stunned into maybe a little bit of silence. And whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But I wouldn't. I'm not coming on. I'm not going to come on here and criticise Villa fans when we when they're playing sixty odd quid a ticket. Yeah, if the game's really slow and the players are making silly errors, I mean, what do you expect? It's just not realistic to get Villa Park absolutely rocking. It's just not going to happen. Um, after half time, then yeah, what are you expecting? Players to come out? I think I said at half time as well. I'd bring Bailey on. Then you've got Ramsey as well, Zaniolo. Do you bring them on at half time? I think at least you've got to get Bailey on. It was bizarre that we didn't see that until the hour mark, really. And we really didn't start start very well, did we? Sort of start as I mean to go on, concede another one. And it's a weird goal, this. They didn't show it on the Sky Sports highlights on YouTube, but that mistake comes from Cash. We win the ball back sort of in our half, don't we? It's weird. And then Cash sort of tries to swivel on it, play a, a blind pass and Gordon pounces, plays it to Almiron. It's squared across and Murphy pops it in via Moreno. It's really frustrating because, again, 
we're the masters of our own downfall and it's so frustrating we win the ball back we do the hard work and then we do something stupid like that yeah just really sloppy it was it was a really poor piece of play from cash and um yeah, he was, I'm afraid, he was totally at fault for that goal, I'm afraid. And obviously the ball comes in and at that point you're in danger. And Moreno, you know, being inadvertently turned it into his own net. And then he, he picked up a little bit of an injury when he did that. And I think he struggled for the rest of the game, yeah. to be honest. He was hobbling for the rest of the game. Yeah, after he was that, off it. Yeah, it was just a really poor, poor piece of play. Sloppy, a little bit lazy, I felt. And um, you find yourself 3-0 down and it's, well, that is it then, isn't it? It's game over. It's sort of damage mm. limitation. Yeah, I was frustrated watching it back because I think Murphy scuffs it. I don't actually think it's going in without uh, Moreno, which is a little bit annoying. Uh, just after that, then on the hour mark, Zaniolo, Ramsey, Bailey come on. And it's a bit weird to say that, especially when you're 3-0 down and you end up losing 3-1, that a sub changed the game. But Leon Bailey must have been sort of sat on that bench thinking, right, lads, give me the ball. I'm going to come on and I'm going to look electric. And he absolutely did. He was so, so good. Just everything he did was fantastic. Cutting in, cutting out. His passes were very, very good on the whole. And uh, Newcastle sort of crapped themselves a little bit, didn't they? They brought on Livramento to sort of help Dan Byrne deal with it because he was getting torn inside out, wasn't he? I think there was one sort of time where Bailey gets the ball sort of in midfield and he sort of does that really nice body faint. And I, th- I think it's Dan Byrne. He absolutely sends him. I think that results in the uh, Magic Cash chance where he blasts it and it's a decent save from Dubravka but Leon Bailey he was on one last night wasn't he fantastic yeah he was electric as soon as he came on and I think it was just something for me so so simple as just move the ball quicker move the ball quicker get it to Bailey and then you know with his pace he just got he, he just ran at the, ran at the defence um just a little bit quicker, just a bit quicker movement, and and, mm, and sharp. Yeah, that's that's sometimes that's all it is, you know. Like I get it at times, we slow it down. I get that's our game, but there has got to be a time. And, I, and like I say, we've been quite good at it this season. When we do get into the final third, we really speed it up, and then we hit teams, and it becomes a bit of a well, what's happened there? Villa just scored out of nowhere, mm. and and teams are a bit shot by it. And um, it's kind of what happened with with the goal, essentially with Watkins's goal. But I thought that's what Bailey brought when he came on. He just. He just lifted the mood by doing something so simple. It's just moving the ball a little bit quicker. Um, yeah, and it, and it, and and you're right. It, it you know it didn't change the game in terms of the outcome, but it changed the game in terms of the tide it was going. You know, it felt like at that point mm. the team that were more likely to score to score again was Newcastle. It's it's the one positive I do take from it is that we didn't just you know collapse and fade away and just you know not even have any sort of attempt at get, getting back in the game we did and obviously yeah. Bailey was sharp and the other I think the other positive take from it is that Ollie Watkins got on the score sheet and we know what Watkins is like he he's a player that loves a little bit of a purple patch isn't he you know he gets one and it usually sort of sets him off on a run and let's be honest we need we need a score in Ollie Watkins if we're going to be successful and so um, hopefully that this will be the sort of catalyst to sort of you know, start a run for him again. Yeah, Ryan asked a question on Twitter here saying, uh, why has Bailey not been playing after multiple average performances from Diaby? I think Unai Emery mentioned a back injury yeah. with Leon Bailey. That's why he came on in the uh, 90th minute against Chelsea. Obviously, if he was fully fit, he would have come on earlier than that if not started. I think, obviously, off the back of that, he looked like he had no injuries at all last night. So hopefully he starts against Sheffield United. Uh, that would be nice. But yeah, on Ollie Watkins, that's his 50th Premier League goal. 50 goals in 131 Premier League games. It's a pretty bloody good record, that is. And I'll tell you what, it's really really nice goal as well been talking all podcasts about how we didn't really create anything and didn't look about didn't look like creating anything it's a nice goal wasn't it McGinn over the top Bailey using his right foot looks confident it's a great finish from Ollie Watkins a really really nice goal yeah it was it was very direct wasn't it it was very very direct it was just get the ball out wide Bailey with his pace run at the defense get the ball in the box really quickly and then Ollie Watkins as we know is a decent finisher and 
sometimes it feels like football so simple, doesn't it? And sometimes it feels like we overcomplicate it at times. And that was it. it. That goal felt really simple, didn't it? It was just like, speed it up a little bit, get it out, in the box, goal, there we go. Yeah, just felt like we didn't do that enough for me. And um, But yeah, a really, really nice goal. And like I say, let's hope it hope it spurs Watkins on to sort of go on a run. It sort of says a lot about Ollie Watkins, doesn't it? I mean, in a game like that, you give him service and he will score. There's a stat here from John Towney that says, Ollie Watkins has become just the third player to score 50 Premier League goals for Aston Villa, along with Gabby Agbon Lahore and Dwight York. He's the first player to score more than 10 goals in four consecutive seasons in the competition for Villa. And do you know what the top reply to that is? Imagine if he could actually finish a one-on-one. Why does he get so much stick, Ollie Watkins, from a certain portion of the Villa fan base? It's so, so bizarre. His record, 50 goals in 131 Premier League games. You can't argue with that. And that game last night, do you know what? Take his goal out of the equation. I think he was trying to do his best. His hold-up play was pretty good. He looked one of the only ones who was sharp and willing to run. Well, he had a great game, even besides his good goal. I don't really understand that comment because I don't recall the last time Watkins had a proper one-on-one. He had that disallowed goal last night. He had that disallowed one, and he finished well, that lovely. Yeah, fair. but yeah, but you know, proper one-on-one when he's running through one-on-one with the keeper. When was the last one? It doesn't happen. When was the last one he had it? And when was the last one he missed? Because I don't remember. It's just it's a lazy, lazy thing to say. I mean, like the blokes, the bloke, as as you just said there, the bloke is absolutely consistent at a high level in the Premier League. I mean. What what we expect? Huh? Who 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 else are we supposed to have? You, know, you look at the teams around the league, and they're all looking for a, an out and out goal scorer, and that's we've got one. Why I, I don't understand why people are getting on his back. I mean, the bloke's been feeding off scraps in recent weeks. He hasn't he hasn't had yeah. any, let alone a one on one. He hasn't had he hasn't had a half a chance in the last few weeks in terms of what we've been feeding him. So. I think I don't I don't I just don't understand the criticism. I really, really don't. It's not it's not all about the striker, is it? You've got to have the creation around him and let, we, in recent weeks we haven't really looked like scoring and so if you're not gonna look like mm. scoring, your striker's not gonna not gonna be uh, successful is it? It's not all down to him is it and the disallowed goal that I just mentioned was really frustrating. I think Trippier steps out doesn't he? I don't know who the defender is but it's the trailing foot and he, he's nearly onside Watkins. On the face of it, watching it live, he looked offside because he was so sort of isolated wasn't he? Trippier was miles away Watkins had loads of space so it looked pretty obvious that it was offside live but then they're taking their time with it and the bloke in front of me and the whole send gets the still up on his phone and I was speaking to a guy at work today who was watching it on telly he said it was close. He said it was very close. And can you imagine if that goes in? I'd fancy us to get something out of the game because the momentum at that point really, really swung. And I think that's that was either make or break, wasn't it, that moment for Villa? I think if that if that goes 3-2, I fancy us to get something. But the fact it gets disallowed, yeah, Newcastle fake a couple of injuries. The goalkeeper goes down a couple of times. Sort of sucks anything we we were gonna have out of the game, unfortunately. Yeah, they 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 took the sting out of it after that. I think you're right. I think it was definitely close. I, I was I was thinking from my seat, oh, they're taking a long time on this. Maybe this will be a goal. And I always think that when the referee sort of stays where you know sort of stays down that part of the pitch where he is, yeah. it's usually an indicator <laughs> that he's gonna like he's gonna give the goal or something. But uh, yeah, it wasn't to be. But I think you're right. I think if that had a gun in, if that had a counted. Um, I would have backed Villa to probably got a point out of the game, definitely. Um, but yeah, you're right. It didn't happen and um, we can't have any arguments with Newcastle deserve the win. I thought yeah. they were better than us last night all over the pitch, if I'm being honest. Yeah, all credits to Newcastle and their fans seemed very good, to be fair. I think it was the second goal when that goes in. I looked over and my God, absolute scenes over there and obviously you're right by them. They were making a bit of making a bit of noise, weren't they? Very good. Yeah, loud all night and uh, for a Tuesday night, Tuesday night following all the way from Newcastle. Um, yeah, yeah, t- top 
top top credit to him because uh, yeah, they they were loud all night, but 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 they usually do. I mean, I mean, they always travel well. They they usually quite loud Newcastle. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I've got a I've got a lot of respect for Newcastle. Yeah, fair play to him. Um, do you see that p- people losing their minds last night about when people choose to lo- uh, leave games? Somebody wanted us to talk about that. It's just weird. Who cares? Like if, if you're paying stupid amounts of money, we've already alluded to it a couple of times already. Who cares? You can leave when you want. Like in an ideal world, everybody stays till the end and sings their hearts out. But it's a quarter past eight kickoff. People have got school in the morning. People have got to go into the office in the morning. People have got work, whatever. It's just not realistic. People can do what they want. Like, who cares? I just think people look for something to just moan about or criticise when, when we've lost. <laughs> I think it's it's the easy thing, isn't it? It's the, you deflect away from the team's performance. and It's easy to talk about, oh, the fans weren't loud enough. Oh, the fans left too early. It's just, I don't really care. To be honest, you pay your money. You, you decide what you want to do. I mean, I don't, I don't leave early. I mean, apart from literally about 20 seconds early. I don't. I left about 20 seconds early last night, 20, 30 seconds before the, before the full-time whistle. Um, literally, the full-time whistle sounded as I was walking down the stairs in the north. And so, you know, I might as well just stay until the end, to be fair. But uh, I don't I don't have an issue with people that do, unless it's, rid- unless it's ridiculous. You know, when we're winning three or four nil, and then you decide to go on the 80th minute. I, I, I kind of I look at people there and I think, what are you doing? You know, we're three or four nil up. We're absolutely loving it. And you're off. Like, I find that a bit weird, but... It's still people's choices, isn't it? People can do what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, again, I don't really care about that part of it. If people if people want to leave early, then let them. I don't know, man. I've just heard too many stories. I think it was um, one of my mates left the Crystal Palace game when we were... They were 1-0 up, weren't they, for a long time, Crystal Palace at Villa Park this season. And they left at 1-0. And then imagine getting home and seeing yeah. it's 3-1 to Villa. Like, are you really risking that? I don't know. For me, I just I just wouldn't risk it. So that's why I'd, I'd never leave a game. Unless it's ridiculous, I'd never leave a game. Yeah, and I agree. I, 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 don't, I don't do it. I, I don't do it. I think the one time I did do it was all... It was all them years ago when we? Uh, do you remember we were playing Sheffield Wednesday at home and we were we were losing in the championship and then uh, Chris Samba scored that. Goal. I saw that goal. I saw that goal. I missed that. <laughs> I missed the one and only Chris Samba goal up front for Aston Villa, which is hard in front of the Holt man. Absolutely heartbreaking that I missed that goal. So, yeah, I've learnt my lesson. We've talked about it a couple of times already. Ticket prices last night. Here's a couple of things that I saw. £63 for a ticket in the whole 10. £68 for some areas in the Trinity. Not sure what it was sort of elsewhere in the stadium. It's mad, isn't it? Mm. It's absolutely mad. And like we're, we're so lucky that we've got... Se- well, I say so lucky. Obviously, this, the season tickets are pretty extortionate as well. But imagine not having a season ticket. Like, I was I was speaking to a mate at work and he was just... He was thinking about going to the Newcastle game. But he just can't justify it. Can't justify... £63 for a ticket in the whole 10 for a, a, a game on a Tuesday night. That's on TV as well. You, surely you just take the easy option and watch it on TV because that is a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, it is big money, isn't it? And uh, it's 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 that is eye watering. I can understand why people choose to give that a miss. I think with all the games we've had this season, and uh, you know you're only you're just into the new year sort of thing. People people haven't usually got a lot of money this time of year, and so yeah, it is that is kind of eye watering. I wouldn't I wouldn't have blamed anybody for um for sort of sitting out last night and then putting you know putting the money towards going to the Chelsea game next week knowing knowing yeah. that it would have been cheaper um yeah I, I, I yeah, it's a lot of money but it's I don't think Villa are in Villa are definitely not not on their own in it this is this is the Premier League isn't it and I think we've talked and talked about that clubs are just trying to generate even more and more revenue and I think we've seen that with the whole clubs being worried about FFP and stuff in the last you know, in the last month in this January transfer window and clubs trying to eke every little bit of revenue they can out of the club and um I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's right. I don't want to see 
football go that way if it's an awful, awful lot of money that is. Especially, I mean, I think if you think it's just you, 64 quid, you're like, all right, I probably can just, I can, I probably can justify it, I probably can sort of take the hit. But if you think about it, imagine you were taking, like, imagine there was four of you or something. Like, yeah, there's a comment from Sean on Twitter here who replied to me. He said, I tried to secure three tickets for me and my kids, found three together, and when I updated the ticket type to under 14s for the kids, it wouldn't allow me to buy them at that rate. It was in the North Stand. Couldn't afford to pay for three adult tickets, and now I'm not going to buy it and watch it on TV. And that's a shame. Like, a guy could have taken his kids to the villa last night, but it doesn't allow them to change the ticket type to an under-14. They have to buy an adult ticket. I don't know whether that's a mistake. Whether it is a mistake or not, it's not great. And yesterday on the morning of the game as well, randomly releasing a 1,000 tickets on the morning of the game is a little bit odd as well. I get season ticket holders can sell their ticket back to the club. I get that. I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but it sort of smells of like a Terry's Fuse or Lower Grounds rat where they're not selling that out. Again, don't want to go into it, but odd. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think... uh... Yeah, like I say, we won't go into it too too much, but I think I think it's what I said at the beginning of the season, kind of thing when the terrace view and the lower grounds came in. I sort of questioned at the time whether we had the demographic to to attract people towards. It. I'm not saying people haven't haven't gone for it, but from what I see and what I hear, and all these tickets being sold on a match day. Um, only a few hours before the game. I'm not saying they're all terrorists or lower grounds, but I just think it kind of shows that the demand can't be that high for it. If they're having to sell tickets off, you know, back to sort of uh, you know sort of normal uh, non-hospitality supporters, and I, and I, and I, yeah, it brings you back into the whole thing about the whole North Stand uh, you know, revamp thing, doesn't it? When they said that, oh, you know, we're not selling. There's 200 tickets left for sale for every home game, so that's why we're not doing the North Stand. And see, I kind of look at that and I think, yeah, the reason why you're not selling those 200 tickets is because people don't want to buy hospitality. And I, I said this, yeah. I warned this. I said at the start of the season, you're in Birmingham here, you're not in London. It's a totally different place. You're totally different people, totally different place. You're going to have some who go for hospitality, but it's not going to be the same as London where you get absolute clam, everyone clamouring mm. for hospitality. You're not going to do it. And I kind of look at the North Stand situation. I kind of think like, are we not building the North Stand because because if you remember when the North Stand plans came out, there was going to be quite a lot of hospitality in the new North Stand. And I just wonder, like, have the club looking at it, thinking actually we don't have we don't have the supporters who are going to pay for this hospitality. And so I just wonder whether that's partly one of the reasons why they put the brakes on it as well, because they just think, well, we might be able to sell normal tickets, but with the cost of this stand, what it's going to cost us, we need to put a fair bit of hospitality in there, and people aren't going to pay for it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't work at the club, so I can't. I can't say what the sales figures are, but I strongly suspect that we're not attracting, um, not attracting the, the the volume of hospitality that the club maybe thought they would get. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. However, credit where credit's due, the um, Chelsea replay information came out today. The ticket information. It's not bad, you know. I think Villa have clearly learnt from the uh, the Everton situation in the League Cup, and rightly so. Fans absolutely lambasted the club for that, and rightly so, because that was ridiculous. Um, so it's obviously different whether you are a season ticket holder or a standard price. So I'll go with a season ticket price. This is for an adult. Ranges all the way from just £15 all the way up to 25 It's not bad at all, that. And that's... I think obviously it's sensible because you want to win the replay and then because we already know that the next round is going to be at Villa Park, you get all the match day revenue from that as well. So I think it's so important we win this Chelsea game from a finance point of view to get that game versus Leeds or Plymouth because then you get a whole new sort of match day revenue and of course you want to get Villa Park rocking because it helps the lads out and hopefully we get over the line to, to get into the next round of the FA Cup. Yeah, it's massive and I think um, I think the club 
finally they've they they saw they say saw some common sense in making this decision and uh, and they reflected on what happened at the Everton game back in September and uh, and you're right I think having a half empty stadium does absolutely no good for the players on the pitch you need you need the fans in the ground to give you any sort of chance essentially and so with six and a half thousand Chelsea fans coming to Birmingham you wouldn't have fancied. You know, there have only been 20,000 Villa fans in there, would you? You know, you really mm. wouldn't have. And so, yeah, the club have got it spot on. Yeah, really, really good pricing. Aggressive pricing, really, for a, well, not to say FA Cup game, but for a game against Chelsea, essentially, which they, to be fair, they easily could have categorised as a Category A game. Yeah. Um, so, no, fair play to the club. And, and you're right. I think it's right to talk about the positives as, as, well, as, as well as the negatives. I, I'd never absolutely slam the club without giving you know you know fair fair credit where it is where it is due so yeah well does the club for that um and so yeah it should be a good one next week i'm looking forward to it it's on itv as well that's an interesting one so again if they priced it ridiculous people would have just thought well it's on free view tv what's the point in going so yeah it's nothing but logical those ticket prices fair play it's a big chance for villa as well this chelsea replay I'm, i'm really looking forward to it it's a very big game obviously it's leeds or plymouth at home in the next round and it feels we were talking about it weren't we just before the draw sort of who we wanted who we could possibly get whatever feels weird to get a, oh, this is setting us up to lose but a favorable home draw in the next round should we beat Chelsea forget about Stevenage that never happened but it's nice to see lower league opposition at Villa Park for a chance in the quarterfinals and then you're only one game off Wembley whether it's right or not the semi-finals at Wembley I don't think it is but again you're only one game off Wembley I know that's an, a lot of if, if buts and maybes but you can sort of semi see a route sort of developing now it's a big chance for Villa yeah it is and and it's just nice to have a home tie and, I, and I, you know we I'm here for years we for years and years we've been a lot of the time we've been drawn as the wayside and so for us to have a home tie is a, a big big advantage especially to be fair because we've been so good at home as well up until last night you know we have and so yeah uh, you're right a path does start to emerge doesn't it you can sort of plot your way to sort of FA Cup glory kind of thing don't you so it's our year Simon it's, it's, oh, it's yeah, our year I, it's going to happen I've said it every I've said it every single year since I followed Villa and so one of <laughs> one of these years I'm going to be right I'm telling you one of these years I'm going to be right um, <laughs> let's hope it's this year but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think um, I think it's a, a decent opportunity for us. Um, yeah, to, to 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 definitely add some silverware. FA Cup is one that a lot of people just want to see us win. I think a lot of the older Villa generation, it's one trophy that a lot of them haven't seen us win because obviously we last won it in '57. Um, so you know, not a lot of people are going to have seen that. You know, as as an adult sort of thing. Absolutely. Let's just close off this podcast then by talking a little bit about transfers. We're recording this as of uh, Wednesday evening at eight o'clock. So if this, this information doesn't sound correct to you um just bear that in mind i think it's pretty clear what villa's transfer strategy is in this window youngsters uh, looks like we've got four players coming in ages of 21 18 23 and 19 morgan rogers costa nadelkovic i think i've said that right he's the only one who's confirmed as of at the moment joe gauchi definitely got that wrong the goalkeeper from australia and lino souza again probably got that wrong uh, the youngster coming in from arsenal looking to get the age pro- profile down. It's an interesting one this window. Yeah, and I think I think the strategy for Villa this window is being keep your best players, which we have done essentially. Move 
some of the Deadwood out, the management of Dendonka out. I think they're still actively trying to get Chambers and Triori out the door. That might not happen. By the way, I was really confused because I was adamant that today was deadline day. And then I only realised I only realised <laughs> about two hours ago that it's actually tomorrow. Because I, I asked guys, Well, that would make sense, wouldn't yeah. it? It's the January transfer window. Why is it closing well, on February? I was really confused. <laughs> I had Sky Sports News on earlier um, in the background while I was doing... Oh, that Dan Bardell. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who he is, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, I had that on in the background while I was doing some work earlier on. And I was really confused because no one was talking about it being deadline day and there was no like <laughs> there was no clock yeah, and I was thinking god is it just because no one's spending any money they just decided not to not to do anything in regards to deadline day so yeah that that really really confused me to start off with but yeah Villa's strategy has definitely been to try and get some of the deadwood out and I think they've got maybe they might get Chambers or Anne Troyori out tomorrow who knows but they managed to get mm. Dundonka out for now and, and then yeah you're right the profile of players have been bringing in has been sort of young players with potential potential to 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 generate more revenue as well I would say and no one wants to hear that do they but I think that has to be the strategy you know like you look at like Morgan Rogers for instance and you know you think he's he's got he's got a lot of potential and you think okay we paid an upfront cost of 10 million but you know if, even if he has a good six months in the Premier League you can probably double that straight away um, yeah, yeah. the same with the lad coming in from Serbia in the summer he's very highly rated already played against Man City this season in the Champions League you know he's a starter for for Serbia already. He looks like he's, he'll be at the Euros this this summer. Um, so again, probably a, a very sort of wise move. And he continues. He's not going to sit on the bench for the rest of the season. He continues um, sort of thing in Serbia for the rest of the season. And then the other two, I'm absolutely thrilled about the goalkeeper. And the, you know what the reason yes. is? I, it's not because I know anything about him, but I'm I'm absolutely convinced he'll be a better second choice than what we've currently got. And that's no disrespect to Robin Olsen. And I, and I apologise if Robin Olsen is listening. I'm sure he's not. But um, yeah, I'm really <laughs> sorry if he is. I, I don't want to call him out, but. We've needed a second choice goalkeeper, a competent second choice goalkeeper. So, yeah, don't know who yeah. he is. No idea who he is. I mean, from reading up about him, it sounds like he's, again, he's got potential. It sounds like he's decent. So, yeah, I'm looking forward mm. to that one. And then the lad from Arsenal, I've got to be honest, I know absolutely nothing about him apart from apart from that. Uh, he came from the West Brom Academy. So, he was he was bound to, to, to end up at Villa with, obviously, Mark Harrison's connections at Villa and stuff. He was bound to end up at Villa. And I think we tried to bring him in, didn't we, when he left West Brom to go to Arsenal. Yeah. And it didn't quite work. So, um, sounds like he's going to be going straight on loan. Sounds like he might be going to Plymouth, um, which will mm. be interesting. And then maybe Villa's strategy is maybe one of these senior fullbacks leaves in the summer for a bit of money on a lot of wages. Yeah. Um, and maybe maybe they're, they're looking at him to think right. You 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 could be that sort of backup sort of yeah player sort of contending to get into the first team in the summer. Who knows? Um, but we'll see. They obviously rate him highly. So yeah, Villa's strategy has been interesting. I think, but I think a lot of it is it's managing FFP number one. But I think number two is bringing players in who we could potentially make uh, a bit of a profit on in the future. Yeah, I think the Australian goalkeeper sort of speaks for itself. Happy days. Hopefully no more Olsen. Um, the left back from Arsenal, Souza, I mean, I tried to find out a little bit about him, went on his Wikipedia and asked a couple of Arsenal mates. I think he's been on their bench once in the Premier League. Um, steady in the under-23s, fair play. But it's an interesting one. Are we sort of preparing for... Um, Luca Dean departing potentially. Obviously, it looks like he was going out the door last summer, didn't it? Uh, back to France. Obviously, we all know he's got massive wages. So, are we just preparing for the future? Quite possibly, and I think that's pretty sensible. I think Morgan Rogers is the one where we're realistically going to have some yeah. sort of sort of sh- sh- short term impact, aren't we? I think he's going to come in and actually play. I don't think any of the rest of the other three are. It's an interesting one. Hearing what Middlesbrough fans have got to say about him. I mean, the extent 
in terms of my scouting that I've done him here. Who's watching the the Chelsea game where Middlesbrough lost six one? That's pretty much the only one that I've watched of him. Obviously, he played against Villa in the FA Cup. Can't remember him doing too much, but it's, he's a really interesting profile. Six foot three, versatile attacker. Got a bit of pace about him. He's he's very good at dribbling. Apparently, loves a shot, and he looks like he moves with decent technique and strikes a ball well. So again, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about him. But that's an interesting one. An attacker, really, really tall as well, adding a bit of height to this Villa team, which we could have done with last night, to be fair. Yeah, it sounds like he's a very direct sort of player, quite a unique player, really. Like I say, you said he's a big lad, six foot three in that attacking role. You don't get that very often. And so um and I think we needed to add a, we needed to add another attacking sort of profile to to the squad. And so while he's probably gonna be a bit raw and I wouldn't expect too much out of him, I think I think it's good to have that other option, especially with John Duran's injury. It looks like he's gonna be out for a couple of months. Zaniolo hasn't quite fired on all cylinders. Diaby's been a little bit out of form. And so we probably did need somebody else up there. And so you're right. I think we'll I think we will see him. I think if Emery deems him good enough to be in and around the team, I think um I think we'll see him. I don't think we're gonna, you know, pay out ten million up front to, to not see him at all. And so I think it's an important one, I do. I think it will give us uh, I think it would give us some other options, and I can't, I can't say I know a lot about him, but he's clearly highly rated. I mean, Man City paid five million for him from West Brom when he was only seventeen years of age, and so when and when they were negotiating with Villa for the Grealish transfer, allegedly they rated him at ten millions. They were offering yeah. in a swap deal, weren't they, to Villa at the time? So, yeah, I think he lost his way a little bit after that. He had a couple of poor loan spells, and City ended up moving him onto Middlesbrough for a million, but they retained that twenty five percent salon fee, and so they must thought he had potential which obviously he has because he's had a very good six months for Borough which has culminated in the move to Villa and so yeah you hope under the stewardship of Emery we, we, we might see we might see a player with a lot of potential sort of sort of fulfil it. Yeah I think he's obviously got something about him because Villa clearly wanted him they went in three or four times didn't they they really really wanted him so obviously he's got a bit about him and I think a lot of people brought up well why have we sold Aaron Ramsey, Jaden Phillip, Jean Bedace. I think Bedace is quite an obvious one it's because he wanted to go I think Villa wanted to keep him he was one of our better players in pre-season wasn't he when we went to America he was absolutely electric for Legin Bidace he was very very good and we thought he was going to have a, a real role in the squad especially with Europe but that just didn't happen fair play to him that's the decision he made he wanted to go and play football more than fair enough so I don't know it's it's an interesting one with Rodgers if he doesn't if he doesn't come in and make an impact straight away that's fair enough look it's a, it's a, going to be a brand new system coming from Middlesbrough to, to Unai Emery's Aston Villa in the top four of the Premier League we've seen players already sort of struggling to adapt to, to Emery's system cash initially look at Diaby now it doesn't always click straight away but hopefully he uh, hits the ground running and we'll see what happens uh, from there briefly want to talk about the the strange links that came out this week from David Ornstein who's incredibly reliable about Jacob Ramsey being linked with a move away um potentially to Newcastle obviously no way it's going to happen in this window now but FFP is coming up a lot in football in general and for Aston Villa and it's just the rules are annoying aren't they if, if you're having to get by by selling one of your academy products it's just it's bizarre and I, I don't want to get into the Man City thing but it, it, it just stinks and it's 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 an odd one yeah and I think the links have purely come from teams knowing that Villa of um you know, knowing that Villa probably do need to to to, to generate some cash uh, for FFP reasons, mm. I think I think that's where the interest. I think I don't doubt there's interest because he's a he's a again huge potential. He's a very good player. Um, hasn't quite done it this season, but that's because of obviously circumstances like injuries, etc. But yeah, I don't doubt there's been interest. Um, I don't I don't I don't see it happening. To be honest, I think Villa have I think Villa have got players in the squad if they'd had to sell somebody else I think they've got players in the squad who probably command a bit more money and um, aren't that sort of homegrown talent as well and 
I mean, in terms of the rules, yeah. I mean, I I, I, I struggle with it. I, I don't I don't like it. It's, it feels like it's just the top clubs are just it's just a closed shop, isn't it? At, at the very top, and it's just trying to prevent anybody from from breaking in there. And I and I think the main thing for me is that. You know, I'm all for clubs being self-sustainable and staying in line with with financial regulations. I think that is important in 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 some kind of sense. I don't think clubs should be able to just you know freewheel and just make massive losses every year. And you know, clubs be you know because you got to think if they were doing that and then the owners pulled out, like kind of what happened with Villa with Wonder Doctor Tony. Like you know, you're, you're putting the club at, at massive risk of going out of business. We, none of us want to see that. And so I get the premises of FFP. I get it that we want to try and you know help these clubs be sustainable but i think i look at the the fact that that the amount of losses you can make over the three year period has never increased ever since it ever since it came out and we're living in a world where you know inflation set in you know we we we're paying so much more for everything these days and yet they've never ever adapted how much you can lose you can only lose that 105 million over the three the three year mark and uh, that's been the same since ffp came in 11 or 12 years ago and so that's the bit for me which i don't understand i think they need to review that i know they're they're changing to move in line with a different sort of way it's about uh, what wages you pay and the revenue you generate from this summer i believe i don't quite know how that works but i suppose that's the other reason why we need to start you know, clawing in better sponsorship deals, better, you know, better, better mm. bringing in more revenue, and that and Villa haven't been great at it for a, a, a long time now. And you know, if you look at our main competitors in the league, the likes of Spurs, and we're absolutely miles behind them in terms of the revenue we generate. And so, and they've got double, haven't they? It's double Villa, it's crazy, and it's crazy. And yeah, and the circumstances which is beyond Villa's control, such as Spurs' new stadium, it's right slap bang in London and it's a bit more attractive because it's London and you know Villa Villa can't do anything about that you know Villa aren't from London so we can't replicate that need a reaction now then going to Sheffield United at the weekend I always like going to Sheffield for an away day I haven't been for a good while now I think the last time we went to Sheffield United we lose 2-0 it was absolutely horrible I think Grealish missed a penalty didn't he did he at the bar was that the last time we went there uh, yes I think it was yeah yeah because yeah. I think they got was that the season they came ninth? I can't quite remember. Um, but yeah, I, I don't mind going there. I mean, it's not it's not a guaranteed win by any stretch. I mean, looking at them where they are in the league, it's, obviously it might look like it, but we all know the troubles they caused us when they came to Villa Park. So it'll be an interesting one. Hopefully, Leon Bailey will start that game and add an element of, of freshness into the starting eleven. I mean, praying that Torres is back, but it probably doesn't look great. We'll probably get another throwaway comment saying he's not fit yet, um, but we'll see on that. Looking at the league table, obviously Villa's still sitting in the fourth place. We are recording this while Tottenham are playing, and I think Tottenham have literally just scored, so it's 1-1 between them and Brentford. We'll see how that one plays out. The league table's still looking decent, mate. We've still got that gap between us and West Ham, Newcastle. I think Tottenham's are the ones, aren't they? And it's so annoying that we don't know whether fifth is going to get Champions League. We're not going to know that until right at the end of the season which is annoying yeah it is and I, look I think I think I've got to try and remove remove myself away from last night's defeat and I understand why people understand why people are going to are going to react like they did you know if we don't lose at home for a long time people are going to be a little bit in shock and react how they did it wasn't great last night and it hasn't been great for a number of weeks the only thing I would say is that clubs do go through bad spells and I think you look at Arsenal they didn't what was that they 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 won they they didn't win in four or something, did they? Or won one in five. And there was this when Spurs had that run of losing five on the bounce, that's when we beat them. So teams, you know, Man City even, they didn't have a great spell at, at one point, only like, what was it, back in December, wasn't it? End of November, December. Look, we were going to have a bad run at some point. Um, and I think it's how we it's how we arrest the sort of slump, isn't it, essentially? 
the the thing to look at, we have actually only lost three matches in the last twenty three in all competitions, which yeah, is mad when you say an incredible like that. run, really. It's an incredible piece of you know, um, it's, it's 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 an incredible run of form from ourselves. And so, I think it's it's important how we bounce back. Definitely, um, we've got a chance Saturday. We need to go there with. I think we need to go there with a little bit of aggression. I think playing against these teams who are down there, you know, they'll they'll be they'll be fired up for it at home, definitely, and they'll be wanting to get in our faces, and that's the way. Chris Wilder will set, set his team up. And so we need to be a bit aggressive on Saturday and, um, you know, and, and go out there and try and get a sort of comprehensive sort of victory and put that confidence back in the players and back on back, back within the supporters as well. But yeah, just 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 a little bit of, yeah, probably a little bit of perspective needed. I think the, the, the players did incredibly to have that ridiculous unbeaten run at Villa Park. I mean, it's something we might not ever see again. Let's be totally honest. It was an absolutely mm. ridiculous record. Um, and so, first of all, we've got to give a lot of praise to the players for that. They don't become bad players overnight. They don't become bad players over the last just over the last few weeks. Every team goes through a slump. It's also combined with some of our injuries that we've had. We desperately need to get Torres. We desperately need to get Luca Dean back. I think as well. Let, let's just see what happens. I think we've been. I think. I think whenever we've had setbacks under Unai Emery before, we bounced back fairly quickly. It's never turned into yes, never turned into three, four, five losses on the bounce, has it? And so. Um, yeah, I, I would still back this manager and this team to get back to how we how we know they can play because we have been very consistent over over the last year or so since Emery came in, and so I think we'll get back there. Um, going through a little bit of a sticky period at the moment, but yeah, just keep the faith would, would be my message really. Yeah, it's a good point about bouncing back. We always have. I remember the one that sticks in my mind is is losing horribly at Legia Warsaw away, away and then a couple of days later going to Stamford Bridge and winning. We've done that many a time, so hopefully we can get back in our groove um, during that Sheffield United game, and that'll be perfect timing. Again, after that, you've got the Chelsea game in the FA Cup, Manchester United at home, who obviously we all want to beat. And then after that, you've got a trio of games which look on paper pretty favourable. Fulham away, Forest at home, and then Luton away. I mean, Luton did incredibly yeah. well yesterday to beat um, Brighton 4-0. So again, not an easy game. On paper though, need to get back in our groove because there's points to be had. Yeah, there is. There is. And um, if you want to finish in that in those Champions League positions, we need to be we need to be consistent, don't we? And yeah, and it's, and it's tough. It is tough when you're at the top. You know, you, there's not much room for for slippage, really, is that? But uh, no. yeah, let's just see how we go. Um, but yeah, if we could bounce back on Saturday, it would be uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be, it'd be really good. Slippage is that a word? I don't slippage. know. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I might have made it up. Off. I might have made it up. <laughs> I love it either way. Um, also, Tottenham haven't scored. That was really weird. It popped up that they had, so we're all falling apart over here. So we'll end the podcast now. Thank you very much for listening. It's always very much appreciated. Please do subscribe, whatever you're listening on, um, whatever it is. Please do subscribe and leave a review. Very much appreciated. Stay tuned on Villa on Tour on YouTube. We'll be at Sheffield United, of course, on Saturday. Thanks for all the continued support and lovely comments. And up the Villa. Mm-hmm.